right, welcome into another episode of the Rebuild, where I am very excited uh, to welcome Sports Illustrated's Charlotte Wilder to the podcast. This has been long in the making, um, so very happy that she was able to take some time and come on today. Um, if you don't follow Charlotte on Twitter at the Wilder Things, you should rectify that immediately. She <laughs> is a wonderful follow on Twitter. Um, she also is the host of the Wilder Project, which is on Sports Illustrated TV. And a co-host of the Most Valuable Podcast, which is one of my favorite sportscasts. So I'm kind of—I don't know, Charlotte. I, I guess I'm kind of just like a fanboy of yours. I'm just gonna—I'm <laughs> just gonna put that out. That I, I'm gonna put that out there right now. I hope that's okay. That I. Oh my God, you are too kind. Yeah, I'm still—I'm uh, still shocked that anyone you know reads or listens or watches anything I do. So it is—I always appreciate hearing that. Thank you, Jordan, um, and thank you for bearing with me while I uh, tried to figure out my life and and record this with you <laughs> yeah no no problem it's uh it's been cool to sort of follow um you know through instagram through social media you've gotten to i guess most most recently you've gotten to go cover a little bit of the stanley cup where i believe it's 2-2 between the uh the blues and the Boston Bruins. I actually went to um, the University of Missouri, and I have a lot of friends that are Blues fans, so I apologize oh. in advance. I know you are yeah, Boston no, sports. I mean, honestly, at this point, like I can't. I have no leg to stand on in terms of being like we deserve this uh, <laughs> from Boston. But you know, when the when the Bruins lost last night, I was mad, and I was like, "What's going on, guys?" Like. It, and and I was watching with uh, one of my good friends from home, and we had this awful moment where he looked at me and he was like, "Oh my God, it just occurred to me. Like something just occurred to me." And I was like, "What?" And he was like, "We could lose this." <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, "This is why people hate us so much." <laughs> this, um, is, this is why I have a a good friend of mine is a Boston Celtics fan, and he <laughs> is. I love him to death. He is the most insufferable NBA fan of any person I've ever come across. I'm not saying that is a generalization of all Boston Celtics fans. I'm just the one Boston fan I really know. It's uh, conversations with him about the NBA are very difficult. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, it sort of creates this its own reality where um, you just hear yourself say things where you're like, oh my God, that's so deeply obnoxious. And, <laughs> you know, but a lot of people who, a lot of people don't. So, you know, we get this, we get this reputation, which is probably deserved. But also like one thing I will say is winning is pretty fun. And so I would like to keep winning. Um, and I think that uh, that's sort of at the heart of it, you know, and people are like, oh, shut up. Like you can't be upset about this. I'm like, well, yeah, but the thing about winning is it doesn't make you want to win less. Like, no one's like, oh, okay, well, I'm all set now. I'd like to lose for a while, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's like, ah, oh, we've won too much. We need a five-year period of being terrible. Like, that's just not something that happens. Right, no, you're like, no, this is great. Let's uh, let's ride this train. But um, I think it helps to be a little self-aware about it, which, you know, who's to say if I am, but I certainly try. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. And we can't make you president of, like, um, corralling Boston sports fans. That wouldn't be fair. So we oh, will... God. Uh, a job nobody wants no nobody wants that um yeah so charlotte i wanted to kind of just start with you too about i mean i'm curious as someone else who kind of works in sports media but i think other people it's always really fun to hear 
um, I don't know, just how you ended up where you are and like where you kind of got your start before you, I know you've written for SB Nation and obviously now you're doing a lot of um, great stuff for Sports Illustrated, but like, were you growing up somebody that was like sports journalism, that's what I'm going to do? Or like, did you, did it, did it sort of manifest itself as you kind of went through college and then your first job? But yeah, how, what was your sort of journey into kind of sports writing like? No, I have had a very, very weird trajectory, um, which I think has ended up actually serving me well, um, which I'll sort of get back to. But I, so I went to liberal arts school up in Maine, Colby College, shout out Colby. Um, And I was always, I always knew I wanted to be a writer. Um, You know, that my mom's a writer, she's a journalist, she wrote novels, it's sort of like I grew up watching her do this. Um, I had a fourth grade teacher who was like, Hey, you're good at writing. And I was like, okay. And from then on, that was just sort of like the thing that I did. Like, that's what, that's what I wanted. Um, I didn't know how to do that, (laughs) uh, coming from the, you know, this, this sort of small school, um, didn't, you know, my mom had, hadn't been in journalism for a while at that point. So I didn't really have many connections. Um, and so I just started my own blog called The Wilder Things, and that's why it's my my uh, social media handles are are that. Um, and I would just sort of post about everything. Like um, it was more of a lifestyle blog than anything. Uh, but I uh, after school I had sort of a few internships. I freelanced for a while, and then um, I actually got a job at America's Test Kitchen um, based off of my blog. Uh, so I started. I worked in food writing for two years. My first job was a web editor. I ran the um, America's Test Kitchen YouTube channel, like their newsletters. Um, and looking back, you know, that was sort of the wild west of the internet where everyone was like, oh, video's a thing. Maybe we should do it. And the thought that like a 22-year-old now would never be like running a YouTube channel um, <laughs> for a major brand. But it was a great learning experience. And from there, um, I really I wanted to do more sort of general reporting, not just food stuff. So I went to um, Boston.com, which is sort of going through a rebuild. Of, they just split off from the Boston Globe and still under that umbrella. But um, and I was there for about a year and a half. And um, USA Today reached out and wanted me to be a sports and culture writer for for the win. And so I I did that. Um, I was like I'm really like. I was always into sports. I like Boston sports, but I mean, I was not by any means a diehard sports fan. Um, I, that first, those first few months at USA Today was like drinking from a fire hose, um, just learning who everybody was and sort of figuring out the current landscape and, and piecing it all together. And, um, from there, I was there only about seven months before SB Nation hired me, um, and did a bunch of stuff for them. And then, um, a year ago, uh, SI came to me and, and um, wanted me to write and do video and podcasts and kind of all of it. And so it's I've been there for um, a little over a year now. And um, that's sort of the long but also short version. <laughs> yeah, for sure. No, that's um, starting at America Test Kitchen is um, is pretty wild. And uh, what was that like you were talking about how young you were and like the stuff you were in charge of? Like, how did you how did you sort of handle? Were you, did you even understand sort of like the responsibility you had? Or were you too young to sort of realize what you were doing? Uh, I really didn't. Like, I had a great boss. She was wonderful. And she was, um, you know, she was in charge of all of it. But like, I was doing this stuff and like producing the videos and and now having gotten back into video a bit it's it's coming so handy but um it it was really very much um 
just kind of figuring it out as I went along. And, and the one constant through everything, though, has been has been writing and, and reporting and going places and sort of describing what I see and trying to look at things um, that, you know, people might not realize that they're thinking about or, or verbalizing a moment um, or a, a, a trend that people have might not be aware of. Um, and sort of like, I think of it as like taking a story and picking it up like it's a rock and like what's on the other side or what's an angle I can take that maybe hasn't been taken. Um, and I think being a generalist and not coming from the sports world and moving into sports was actually super helpful because I look at things, I'm like, well, you know, I, I use this example a lot, but I'll be like, well, the NBA draft lottery, like why that's so weird. You have a, a lottery for a lottery. And when I figured that out, everyone in the NBA was like, yeah, that's just how we do it. And I was like, well, that's really weird. And they were like, <laughs> you're right. That is really weird. And so I wrote about how weird it was. And it, you know, it's, it's things like that where it's like, sort of um, being able to take a step back and, and, and question some things or, or notice things that might seem totally obvious if you're, if you're, um, you know, came up through this world. Yeah, for sure. I, I wanted to ask you too, is like, cause I feel like we like similar in age and probably came up through like similar ways of, I don't know, just learning about journalism or, or learning about these things. And one of the things that's was the hardest for me and still is the hardest for me and mm -hmm. I guess it can depend on on people's personalities too. But like, I'm a pretty talkative person. I'm a pretty social person. But I, um, when I'm around people that I don't know, or especially professional athletes, I it still takes me a lot to like work myself up and just go up and approach somebody and talk to them. And once I do, I'm fine. But mm -hmm. I wonder, like, for you, and I think I've gotten better at it as I've gotten more comfortable doing it and just experience wise. But like, was that was that ever hard for you just like being like in this field and being like, OK, I have to go approach so and so or I have to go talk to so and so. Um, or was there something else that was like the hardest part for you? I guess like when you were first starting and going through it, what was the most kind of difficult part is you, you know, started to spend a lot of time like, you know, at sporting events or around athletes and all of that. That's a really interesting question. No one's ever, no one's ever really asked me that before, Jordan. Um, wow. All I, right. I'm I, honored. Yeah, you're crushing it. Um <laughs> No, I think, you know, for whatever reason, I have always been um, a very outgoing person. Like the reason I love this job is because I love talking to people and, and learning about them and sort of, you know, I, I consider it a real honor to, to be trusted to tell people stories. Um, and I like that's why I do this, I think, because I, I love being in the world and interacting with people. And it's strange because I'm, I'm a very anxious person, actually. Like I, I dealt with anxiety my whole life and it's still something that, you know, it's sort of every day something I, I go through and deal with and like try to manage. But it's never been social, um, which I feel really lucky for. You know, I'm usually actually it, it's it's helpful for me to be around people. And I think that because I didn't come from a world where I was obsessed with athletes growing up where I knew who everybody was, it actually made it easier because, you know, I'll go up to, um, trying to think of an example, but say like Travis Kelsey, like I didn't know who he was before I started working in sports. Like there was no sort of looming, it's harder to get starstruck if you don't really realize that you should be, For I sure. guess. Um, and you know, like if I think that if I were to, to, and, and that's been helpful as I've gone on, like, I, I don't really get starstruck anymore. Um, except I said that. And then the other day I met John Krasinski and like 
totally blacked out and like i can't remember what i said now. that's that's but, an exception like, though like everybody right, right. it's but just like, gym it's that's too hard yeah right like now when i talk to athletes and you know i don't mean to sound like i'm above it or anything because i'm not at all it's just like i guess how i'm wired now now i'm so concerned with the job in terms of when i talk to an athlete i'm like please be interesting like i need you to be interesting i need to be able to make something out of this rather than like, oh my God, I can't believe I'm talking to so-and-so. I'll be nervous that the story's going to suck as opposed to like that I'm meeting this person. Yeah. Uh, but to in terms of like the hardest part or the scariest part starting out, um, I think it's something I've gotten better at, but I used to get really, really nervous um, about whether I would be able to make something out of the story I was doing. Like... Um, you know, if I, if I were interviewing someone or if I were going somewhere to write about an experience, I would just be like terrified that I wasn't going to be able to land the plane. Um, and you know, there were a few planes that probably crash and burn, but I think I've gotten much more confident about it now. And I, I'm pretty, I have a better faith in myself that if I go somewhere, if I, have something I'm reporting or working on that it probably will come together. Um, and, and if it doesn't, it's not the end of the world. You know, like I think the great thing about this business is like, so I, I sometimes feel like you're only as good as the last thing you did. Um, so it's, it's easier and harder once you realize that, you know, you just got to move on to the next one. Yeah. And I think speaking to that too, especially like in today's, just with athletes, I feel like there's so much less time that you can get with them. And once, you know, you have that set time, it's it, like, that's kind of it. So you have to okay. like get what you get. And then that's a story. And I, I definitely can relate to feeling like, oh, I didn't ask this. I should have asked this. And it can just be really like, that's that's your time. And I, I can definitely kind of relate to that fear of being like, well, I, I asked what I asked and I <laughs> that's all. Right, right. Um, it's very... <laughs> It, the access part of this business is often very silly. Yeah, um, it, uh, it most definitely is. All right, let's take a quick break from our conversation to talk about a couple of our sponsors, beginning with ShipStation. When you're selling online, getting your orders out can be a real pain. That's why you need ShipStation.com. It is the fastest, easiest, and most affordable way to manage and ship your orders. No matter where you're selling, on Amazon, Etsy, eBay, your own website, ShipStation brings all your orders into one simple interface. ShipStation, ShipStation, I should say, helps you get your orders out quickly, save money on shipping costs, and keep your customers happy. And that's the most important thing. And right now, Blue Wire listeners can try ShipStation for free for 60 days when you use the promo code BLUE. There's absolutely no risk, and you can start your free trial without even entering your credit card info. ShipStation works with all the major carriers, including USPS, FedEx, UPS, even Amazon Fulfillment. So you can compare and choose the best shipping solution for you and your customer. It's no wonder ShipStation is the number one choice of online sellers. They'll ship more in less time with the best rates available. So just visit ShipStation.com. You can click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in blue. That's ShipStation.com. Enter the promo code BLUE. ShipStation.com. Make ship happen. Today's episode of The Rebuild is also brought to you by Harry's. Guys, Blue Wire is teaming up with Harry's to make sure our listeners are shaving comfortably. So go to harrys.com slash bluewire right now to save $10 on a value trial set, which includes the following. A 
five blade razor with lubricating strip and trimmer blade, rich lathering shave gel, and a travel blade cover. You can get all that for just $3 and that is shipped right to your door. So enough of the cheap razors, no names, won't mention any of them, but some of them are real bad. It's totally worth trying Harry's. Harry's has fixed shaving by combining a simple, clean design with quality and durable blades at a fair price. And Harry's founders were tired of paying for razors that were overpriced and overdesigned, so they bought a world-class blade factory in Germany and they've been making quality blades for over 95 years. So join the 10 million who have tried Harry's. Again, claim your trial offer, your free trial offer by going to harrys.com slash bluewire. All of Harry's blades come with a 100% quality guarantee. So if you don't love your shave, you can let them know and they'll give you a full refund. Again, make sure you go to harrys.com slash bluewire to redeem your razor for just $3. All right, let's get back into my conversation with Sports Illustrated's Charlotte Wilder. Well, I wanted to, you know, just speaking of um, someone who you did get a, a good amount of access to, and I thought it made for such a, a cool story too, was, um, was your story on Jeff Fisher and... Mm -hmm. I think that story was so cool because one, I feel like Jeff Fisher had sort of been turned into a meme. Like he was just this nine and seven or this seven and nine um, meme. Like that's what he had just become because of that speech he gave when um, he was on, I forget what Am the name of Amazon show was where they documented. Hard that, Knocks. Uh, no, what was the one Amazon did? Like they had their own separate one though that wasn't Oh, oh not in NFL films. Yeah, uh... I'm going to forget. But it was like, oh, I think it, maybe it was just like camp with the Rams, whatever it was, um, where he, you know, he said, we're not, you know, we're not going seven and nine or I'm not mm -hmm. here to go seven and nine or whatever it was. And it almost like he became like not even just like this longtime NFL coach anymore. Like people just sort of knew him for that. And then he sort of was unceremoniously, you know, fired. And then Sean McVay takes over and transforms the Rams into this offensive juggernaut and Jared right. Goff into a good quarterback. And everybody was just like, wow, Jeff Fisher must have been terrible. And so I feel like it almost swung too far in one direction. And I think that's why your story was cool because, you know, you got to go out to his ranch and just like spend time with him and like have an actual conversation with him. And he turns out to kind of just be this, I don't know, like he, after I read the story, it was just kind of like, oh, I, I, maybe I like Jeff Fisher more than I thought I did. And I think that's a really cool thing because I think he was getting, there was a lot of kind of like piling on going on it and it was funny for a while, but then you sort of feel for the person and it's cool to be able to see a story like that. So just what was that? What was that whole experience like? Cause you literally just got to like go ride an ATV with him, like on his ranch. Like, was that one of the cooler kind of just like talking about access, but was that one of the cooler writing reporting experiences that you've had? Yeah. Um, you know, I, first of all, thank you for the kind words. Um, the reason I wanted to do that was exactly what you said was, you know, I, I would be sitting on my couch watching football and, you know, the Rams would be on and I would tweet a joke like, you know, Jeff Fisher's watching this, sitting in his, you know, man cave or whatever. And then I was like, why am I doing this? Like, I'm a reporter. I can find, I would wonder what he was up to. And I was like, you can find out. Like, your job is to find out. Um, so I, I found his, I got his information. And I, I called him. And um, I basically told him, I was like, look, I'm not out to get you. I, I often tell people I write about, I'm like, I'm not going to, I'm not out to get you. I'm not going to save you. Like if you say something right. stupid, that's on you. But like, I'm not here for the kind of gotcha sort of situation. Um, and, and he was like, yeah, you know, I'm, I really want to coach again. And I would, I don't even know how to begin moving the needle back in terms of the, the public perception of me. And I was like, well, you know, I'd, I'd love to tell your story. And he was like, all right, come to Nashville. Um, 
And so I did. And I got a lot of time with him. He um, was really open with me. He started out pretty skeptical. Um, and I think he started to trust me more. I think it had helped that I did a profile of Chris Long a few years ago. Um, and, you know, I think other people in the business that Jeff knew who knew me kind of that helped, um, which is, you know, networking is so crucial in this world. Um, if when it when it comes to access, just to, you know, if people ask about you, all you really have is your reputation. For sure. Um, but yeah, it, it was one of the cooler um, stories I've done in a while just because I felt like um, I was answering a question a lot of people had, but maybe didn't realize they had, you know, it was like, I was like, Hey, you might not know that you've been wondering what Jeff Fisher was up to, but like, here's what Jeff Fisher's up to. And everyone was like, Oh yeah, what is <laughs> Jeff Fisher up to? Yeah. Um, but it was also, I think, it, I think it was the right moment for that story, you know, with the Rams about to be in the Super Bowl, which we didn't know yet, but, um, and a bunch of coaching vacancies, like it all kind of came together in this, um, really lucky way. Yeah, and now you're, um, I think now you're like the official Jeff Fisher newsbreaker. I think when <laughs> there were rumors that he was going to like coach in the XFL, you just texted him and he was like, nope. So like, are you, I think now it is your responsibility that anytime there's a rumor about Jeff, like you have to break it. Oh yeah, right. I'm the Jeff Fisher whisperer. No, I, I called him and I was like, well, cause I, I had talked to him the week before um, about something or, or I was trying to get in touch with someone that he knew and um, he was saying how he wasn't going to coach in the XFL and they'd asked him and it was all, it, that was off the record um, at the time, just because we weren't sure about like, he, he wasn't totally sure what was going on. And I was like, yeah, okay, I'll hold on. I won't say anything now because like, that's not, doesn't seem like a story if it's not happening. And then I saw um, someone report that he was going to take a job in the XFL and I called him and I was like, dude, you said last week you weren't, is this, bullshit like wait i don't know if i can say that can i say that you can say that you're good <laughs> <laughs> I was like, uh, you know, what is this what's going on he was like no absolutely not and i was like okay well i'm gonna tweet that and he was like great <laughs> and then and then he started just he's been tweeting a lot since then so uh, he has yeah he's but pretty, yeah he... just just i it was um it was fun getting to know him yeah and i was gonna say he's like surprisingly good at twitter too yeah, I know. I when he started tweeting, I was like, "Oh boy, buckle up!" Um, and he's just—he's done a really good job. I'm very proud of him. <laughs> yeah, it's good for you. good for you, Jeff. You've really grown. Um, speaking of Twitter, and you know, so I mentioned how much I enjoy um, your Twitter account. And um, before I—I I wanted to touch on one of my favorite tweets of yours. That's fairly recent, but uh, before I did that, I did want to ask you—you um, know—so as somebody who. You know, I feel like a lot of obviously your writing and your work is is a big part of what you do. But I think your you know your Twitter is a huge part of what you do too. And especially as um, you know somebody that's covering sports in 2019, it's just like having a Twitter is just part of the part of the deal. But you're really good at it, and you know you're you have nearly like 40,000 followers. And I I wonder as you've gained your following, like do you ever feel like stress about? I have to tweet something funny today. Do you, do you, do you ever feel like an obligation of like, this is what people expect from me. And then, you know, there was that instance too of when, you know, there was a, there was the job opening of sports illustrated and you would just really, you know, innocent tweet of, Hey, are there any women that I can help with try to apply for this job? And then Ed Werder comes in and it just takes on a life of its own. And I, I don't imagine you've had an experience kind of like, like that one before. So I, has it been weird? I guess my main question is, ha 
has it been weird as you've gained this following and how have you sort of like dealt with being somebody whose tweets get noticed when you tweet them? <laughs> it's funny you ask that because I, I sometimes forget that anyone can see what I tweet. Cause like <laughs> I wanted, I've wanted this for so long. Like yeah. I remember being, I remember being at America's test kitchen being like 23 years old watching the Grantland people talk to each other and being like on Twitter and being like, ah, like put me in coach. Like, I think I could do this and feeling, um, yeah, I, but I had like 120 followers at most and just being like, it felt so impossible, you know, like the barrier between that. And, um, I just have kind of, so I, I feel like I tweet now or I act now, um, as if I still only had 120 followers for better, or for worse. Um, but there is certainly a responsibility that comes with it. Um, you know, I, that's not entirely true. What I just said, like, I'm very aware, um, that what I say is now a part of my public life. Um, and I'm by no means like a thing. I'm not like, I'm not famous. I'm not, I, I just like in this industry, in this world, like I'm, I'm, I have to be aware of like what I say could be seen. Um, and I think that it's really important. I believe in humor more than anything as a way to both expose people for being idiots, um, as a way to just entertain people. Like there was a period of time sort of right after Trump was elected where I remember like having a real existential crisis and I, and I was talking to my dad and I was like, what am I doing? Like I'm writing about sports and the world is falling apart yeah. and, and I'll still feel that way from time to time. And he, he said to me, he was like, look, now we need that more than anything. Like we still need lightness. We still need funniness. We still need something to, um, take our minds off of things. And, Hopefully some of the work I do is more serious than that. Like I, I recently covered the PGA championship um, and wrote about John Daly, um, you know, as everyone's sort of thinking he's this goofy guy and he's assaulted two out of his four wives and being like, look, you can't ignore that. So there is a serious side to it, but I also really do love the fact that for whatever reason I can make people laugh in any way. Like that is, I, I take that responsibility so so seriously and so yeah I do feel pressure sometimes like there'll be days when I uh, there I feel like every other day or at least once a week I come close to tweeting like do you ever just not feel funny or like well because <laughs> I'm not funny anymore because like I have nothing um and I, I feel some pressure around you know big events like um big sports games I, I do feel sort of I don't know if it's an obligation but like that I should have a presence there. Like no one, no one I work for has ever said like, Hey, you need to be tweeting. And, and probably more people I've worked for, not at SI, but other places have been like, Hey, tweet less. Um, <laughs> but I, it's just a huge tool for a career. And I tell a lot of people trying to get into this business. I've had people reach out, you know, students being like my professors say I should be professional. Like someone once asked me, how did you make the decision not to have a professional Twitter and to have a funny Twitter. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, Oh man, dude, I, it was not a decision. Like if, if someone like, thank God I didn't go to journalism school or that someone didn't get to me sooner and be like, Hey, you shouldn't do that because I probably shouldn't have, but it worked. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I feel a lot. Um, sometimes it gets very stressful. Sometimes I feel, um, somewhat exposed, but I'm just, 
at the end of the day, so insanely grateful that anyone cares at all and that anyone follows me or knows that, um, I exist or, or cares about it. It's just like so moving and humbling to me constantly. Well, I do want to hit on two of your tweets that definitely made me laugh. Speaking of that, yeah, well, one of them in general is just, I just want to talk about Imagine Dragons with you for a moment, because (laughs) I I know that Imagine Dragons has become um, something that you you talked about uh, both on Twitter and on the Wilder Project. And yes, I I care very deeply about Imagine Dragons. You do. It's important. Yeah, I feel like we don't talk about Imagine Dragons enough in this country, and it's really a crime. I have a brief story about Imagine Dragons that I will share with you right now. I... Um, I believe this was before when LeBron came back to Cleveland for the second time, the T the, their, their opener, they were playing the Knicks and it was on TNT and TNT like came, um, and they had a concert, uh, before Mm -hmm. the game and Imagine Dragons was of course, uh, the band that was playing. And before they started playing, like the lead singer took the mic and said something like, you know, I really like Cleveland because, like, everybody here works hard. It's really cool. And I was just like, who are you? You were like, like, what? You don't know that. Yeah, I was like, first of all, yeah, that's probably not true. Second of all, this is probably the first time you've ever been here. It was just, like, the funniest speech I'd ever heard before a show. And ever since then, I've just been like, I don't understand Imagine Dragons. So... um, Let's just briefly touch on... I know you've you've touched on this on a couple platforms, but, like, how... How and why did Imagine Dragons just become the band that for any big sporting event or music you need to play for a promo, they are just that band? So I, last year at the Stanley Cup, uh, I covered all the games um, and it was in Vegas for, you know, it was uh, Cavs versus the Golden Knights. And at the Vegas games, I found out that Imagine Dragons was going to be playing. And I was like, okay, well, I got to find them. So I tracked them down in there. One other thing that I think I'm sneaky good at that um, I will brag about is I'm very good at getting places I'm not supposed to be. <laughs> That's um, an excellent skill like, to have. Yeah, I, I just like I'm relentless. You know, you're asking me if I feel if I get nervous going up to people like I probably should more than I do because like I will squirrel myself into any situation. And uh, so I end up backstage or like in the bowels of what is it called of T-Mobile arena on the strip in Vegas. And I like find imagine dragons standing next to the Zamboni. And I'm like, (laughs) and I, and to to be fair, I really screwed this up because I went up to the drummer and at the time they had, what is that? The 30 seconds to Mars song um, that Jared Leto's been third. Wait, hold on. I'm Googling 30 seconds. I thought you were going to sing it and that was was going to be fine too. 30 seconds to Mars college football song. Let's see what this pulls up. Oh, uh, um, oh I, walk, walk on Water. Yes. But that, so, okay, so that is not an Imagine Dragons song. Let's be clear. That is by the band 30 Seconds to Mars. So, but I mean, come on. It sounds, they it's all the sound si- the same. It's the it's same like, song. It's like all these, all these sort of manufactured for college sports rock songs now. It's like there's a driving beat. There's some dude almost screaming, but not quite screaming. Like it's a very easy melody, but it makes you want to run through a wall and you hate that it jazzes you up, but it does. <laughs> and so I went up to the drummer whose name is Daniel Platzman and apparently went to high school with one of my friends, which I was like shocked. But um, 
I go up to him and I'm like, hey man, and, and I was like, can I ask you a few questions? I'm a Sports Illustrated. And he's like, sure. And I said, so first of all, what was it like to have your song be the college football song all year? <laughs> that's incredible. And he just looks at me and I was like, huh, that's weird. Okay, well, next question, I guess. <laughs> like, I didn't even really, he didn't, like, there was no you idiot. It was just like, he looked at me and I didn't make the connection until I got back to my seat in the press box. I was like, oh no. <laughs> so he, did, he didn't say, he didn't even he didn't, say anything? He didn't even say anything. So I was like, all right, well, I'll just keep bumbling on. And I was like, do you guys write music for sports, basically? Um, and he gave me some very bizarre answer about like human emotions and good guys <laughs> and bad guys and how like everybody feels stuff. And I was like, what? Okay. Um, and they say they don't, but like I find it hard to believe because they've performed at every major thing and including most recently the um, Champions League final on last Saturday. And it, it's just, it's so manufactured. It's so easy to digest. And yet it also really does like very much pump you up, um, even if you hate it. And um, there's something I just I just really respect about that. These guys like found a niche and they have leaned in and um, they are very rich because of it. So you know, more power to them, more power to them. And their fan, you know, like they have a fan base that I didn't even realize. I tweeted something. I forget when they performed. But like as a joke, I tweeted like <laughs> Imagine Dragon should be in prison. And <laughs> and. I got, you know how like people can file complaints against your tweet and you get like an email saying somebody has filed a complaint. I got, oh I legitimately, somebody filed a complaint um, about that tweet and Twitter had to email me. It's like, well, it doesn't meet any of our criteria to take it down, but we just wanted to let you know. <laughs> and I was like, this, oh, is, this is crazy. So anyway, they have, uh, if you're thinking about tweeting something negative about Imagine Dragons and you have a decent amount of followers, just be careful because they're fans. Yeah. They're out there. That's, that's why, honestly, I tried to remain fairly neutral um, <laughs> while very much making fun of them. Fans, fans are crazy. They um, they are especially yeah they're insane. Fans they're online will destroy you. <laughs> they will destroy your whole life. Absolutely. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and then the other tweet that I just legit laughed out loud at was when Drake wore the Del Curry jersey to Game One of the NBA Finals, and you <laughs> tweeted, "If I ever have to face my enemies in person, I'm going to show up wearing their dad's clothes." <laughs> Drake is on to something. <laughs> I thought that was the greatest idea I have ever heard in my entire life. I just oh, wanted to. Man. We don't have to Thank elaborate, you. but it's a great tweet. Well, I mean, I really do mean it. Like, if I ever come face-to-face -face with my haters, they're going to be like, why are you wearing my dad's ancient, like, University of Ohio sweatshirt? And I'll be like, wouldn't you like to know? Yeah, be like, don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah, I'll be like, your dad's fine. He says, what's up? <laughs> <laughs> Just be, incre be an incredible burn. They'd be like, wow, yeah. she really... She really went deep on that one. I feel Honestly, like, like I would be unassailable. They'd just be like, okay, fine, you win. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, what can you even please say? Please delete all the mean things you've said about me online. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Um, well, again, thank you for doing this, Charlie. I wanted to sort of end, since this is technically a Browns podcast, and you have uh, done yeah. you have done some writing about the Browns in the past. Um, the, the one thing I wanted to touch on was Baker Mayfield, who... Mm -hmm has been very online lately with his sort of back and forth with Colin Cowherd, where I guess he just now, I, I almost, maybe we can start with this. Do you, do you think that what is going on with Baker and Colin Cowherd is a, is a bit, I, I am very close to believing in the conspiracy theory that they're back and forth and Colin constantly talking about him and Baker literally responding to like everything he says on Twitter. I'm very close to feeling like this is a wrestling bit. Where oh, are wow. you? Where are you on this? 
I hadn't considered that, honestly. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm so skeptical of anything in this stupid industry that I would not be shocked if that turned out to be true. Uh, that's not my first instinct. You know, I think that Baker seems like someone who is, you know, a lot of athletes um, try to say as little as possible, and he's not one of them, which I appreciate about him. Um I wonder, and I think right now most people are kind of into it. I wonder how long that's going to last. Um, I think that people uh, kind of get sick of that eventually. But, you know, who's to say? I mean, I'm a big Baker fan. I think that without knowing much, I you know, I haven't interacted with him personally. So I'm, I'm always wary to say that I like like people if I don't know them because, you know, it can come out that people – are terrible, but (laughs) from afar, I really like Baker. I admire his, I think he is a whole lot of, um, he's so charismatic. I think he seems like a great leader. I really, I think he's a fantastic football player and I've been really into the Browns because of it. Um, and that's cool. Like that's wild. I think that he's played a big part in so many of the Browns expectations, um, and, and fans expectations for them, but um, you were telling me before we started recording that um, Duke Johnson requested a trade um, and, you know, when asked about it, Baker said, what did he say? Um, that you're either on this train or you're not. And I think that that's a pretty, uh, you know, that, that makes it pretty clear about who he is as a leader, um, which is like you're in or you're out. <laughs> yeah, it's um, it's similar. I mean, he's sort of. I always do kind of laugh at like there was a little bit of kind of uproar at least amongst like Cleveland Browns Twitter and people I follow today just about like well why did Baker say that he should have just been diplomatic about it like they have to share a locker room for minicamp and maybe if Duke Johnson doesn't actually get traded for like the rest of the season and I always sort of laugh at that because it's like Baker has shown everybody like exactly who he is multiple times and like he's never not going to be that dude it's the same thing he did with Hugh Jackson and then it's a it's even the same thing, you know, there were these rumors that the Browns were one of the front runners to sign Gerald McCoy, and then he just recently signed with the Panthers, and I think, like, Baker's response to that was the same thing. It's like, well, we're moving on, he's not with us anymore. So, like, he just really doesn't like you if you're not going to be a part of his organization. So, that's just who he is. Um, mm-hmm. And, yeah, I'm with you. Like, I love it it's from both as, like, a fan and as a sports writer, like, because it, one, it gives you, you know, those quotes are so much better than stuff you're going to get from you know, somebody who is just going to say the most cliche things in the world. And two, yeah, like, I I don't know. The Browns have been such a dormant franchise for so much of my life that mm-hmm. having having a, like, fiery, bordering on arrogant kind of quarterback is, like, that's good and that can, mm-hmm. like, back it up is, like, a new fun experience. And um, I do think the rest of the league might, if, like, if they're good this year, they're on national TV a bunch. Like, I do think the rest of the NFL might get tired of it. But, like, great for the Browns and Browns fans because we've just been shitted on for for years and years. So like, I'm, I'm all, you guys it. deserve a break. You really Thank do. You. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I agree. I think that, um, I'm just psyched to see what happens. I'm really, I'm really intrigued. Um, I could see it going very well. I could also see everything go up in flames, but I mean, I guess that's how sports always are. Um, <laughs> so you know, I'm just I'm just psyched to to find out what where this story ends up going. 
Yeah, I am too. And the the last thing on the Browns too is um, it's very surreal to see Odell Beckham Jr. in a Browns jersey. Like even when it right? happens, it's very it's still very weird to me, and I still don't really believe that it actually happened. But I know. Well, how are you feeling about it? Well, I mean, I feel great. Like, I love Odell Beckham Jr. And um, I love his dance moves. I love his hair. I love his football ability. Like, I'm into all of it. But it's really funny because here in town, and I guess this made a little bit of a national story, too. But, like, he, he only came to one of the, like, nine OTA practices. And it got mm-hmm. a couple of older sports writers here and, and elsewhere sort of up in arms about, like, uh, you know, he's he needs to get uh acclimated to his new team and develop chemistry and this is why you know the giants traded him and all this stuff that's like the low-hanging fruit that i hate that Mm -hmm. that is such an easy thing for people to write about so i'm i don't know is do you have a maybe that question is like do you have a least favorite thing that um that (laughs) happens in sports that like writers who you who you 100 would guess would jump on that type of thing like is there something that just gets you like oh my god are people like actually doing this Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, there are so many, Jordan. I don't even know where to start. <laughs> there are I, so many, and it's an issue. Yeah. Um, I, I just think it's when people jump to conclusions or use athletes um, or, you know, things happening in the sports world as ways to sort of signal how great they are, you know, where yeah. either – here's my opinion, look how smart I am, or like, here's my, here's my take on this, look how – look how correct and with it I am. And I'm like, you know what? Just like, here's a joke because (laughs) it is so deeply obnoxious when, when it becomes like using these sorts of things, take away the story from the actual what's actually happening. And it just turns it into like the same four debates over and over. And who knows why, I mean, I, uh, is it out there? Like, I don't know if it's been reported why he didn't go to camp, but A, maybe he had a good reason. B, maybe he didn't want to and he didn't have to. C, that doesn't reflect on his character or on how things are going to be with the team. It's just like immediate knee-jerk reactions that I'm like, okay, everybody can relax. <laughs> yeah, it, it really is. And it's like he just got tra- like got blindsided by a trade. He has to move from like his houses in L.A. and New York City and like take all that stuff to clear. Like, I feel like we always forget too. like what a I can't even imagine like one day walking into work and somebody would be like, we just traded you today to another city. Um, I know you've been here for eight years and this is where you were <laughs> drafted, but uh, you have to go right now. And like trying to like process all of that and stuff. So I think he yeah, was just I mean, taking his time, you know? Well, I also think that people forget that athletes are people. All um, the time, yes. And I think that there's, you know, it was funny. I was talking to, I guess this was back in 2016 now, but when the Rams were moving, um, I was talking to a few of the Rams players and they were like, yeah, they just came in. We didn't know where we were going and they just came in and they said, we're moving to LA and we we're like, okay. So, you know, it's like, these are people's lives um, that you're, we're talking about, and it's so easy to see them as just like existing for fans' enjoyment. And on some level, they know that that's what they're getting into, and they when they become pro athletes, and that's a part of it. But you know, you still have to allow them their humanity. Um, and I and I think it it's um, I think people are getting better about it. I think it's still uh, there's a long way to go in terms of um, not just completely holding them to standards you would never hold other kinds of people to. 
Yeah, no, for sure. I think that's a really good point. Um, well, Charlie, I'm going to make you right now an honorary Browns fan for the season. I hope that's, oh my uh, God. that's acceptable, <laughs> but you are, you are welcome onto the Browns bandwagon. Hey, thanks, man. That, uh, that's very, uh, generous of you. I appreciate it. Uh, I can't wait, can't wait to see what, uh, what what happened? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's gonna be great. You're gonna have it's gonna be so fun. It'll be great. Yes, I'm sure it's never broken anyone's heart. <laughs> no, it's only it has <laughs> not affected me negatively in my life at all. Only good things. Beautiful. Yeah. Um. Well, thank you again, Charlotte. Uh. Again, if you are not following Charlotte on Twitter, you can do so at the Wilder Things. Uh. You can check her out. Her writing on Sports Illustrated, the most valuable podcast, and you just finished season two of the um of your of your show there. Is that correct? I did, okay. yeah. The Wilder Project the Wilder on SATV. Project, yep. um, whew, I know, I'm very tired, Jordan. <laughs> <laughs> You've done a lot. I need to, I think I need a vacation, but, you know, we'll, we'll see. We'll, we'll see. get there eventually. For sure. Um, but, yeah, thank you again for, uh, for hopping on. This was very fun, and hopefully we can do this again uh, in the future. But thanks, uh, thanks a lot. Sounds great. Thank you.